You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. In your bulletin, there is a trifold. Um, there it is. Week three. Here it is. Uh, and today we are talking about open hands, open hearts. And so today we're going to continue that series. And over the next several weeks, what we're going to do, what I thought would be, in a weird sense of, of humor, I thought would be fun, would be to discuss what it is for the evangelical congregational church. What, what is it that the evangelical congregational church makes a member in good standing. And so if you're a member of Faith Church or, or you're not, this is, this, is a, this is a message you'll want to know because if you ever be, decide to become, you'll want to be a part of this, of this discussion. But there's this, this paragraph in our discipline, and it, it's specifically in 321.6, and, and, and if you, you don't have a discipline and you would like a discipline, just wait, because next year, this, this coming conference, we're voting on a whole bunch of changes, and then the new discipline will come out. So, like, I already told the membership class that came in a couple of uh, months ago or, or almost a year ago that I'll get them the discipline when, when the new one is out, because it makes no sense to give you a discipline and then say, oh, by the way, it's changing in a few weeks. But here's what, here's what it says. This is not changing. This is a, a staple that will not change. There's been discussion of it, but I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Here's what it says. It's, it'll be on the screen. In order to continue as a member in good standing of the Evangelical Congregational Church, it is necessary that a member live in harmony with the discipline. Now, right away, someone's going to say, well, aren't we supposed to live in harmony with the Bible? The thought is, in the history of the Evangelical Congregational Church, is that the discipline agrees with the Bible, and if they don't agree, the Bible always wins. And we've seen that in recent days, where we've made some changes to the discipline because there was some scripture that could have pointed to some other things. They also need to attend public services, commune during the year, and contribute to the support of the local congregation. Today, we look at that last line of that definition of a member in good standing. It's something we make a big deal of when the pastor wants to preach on it. We say things like, here we go again. Do we really have to? Can we please not discuss this topic? All the while, we are misunderstanding when we are saying those words, the very heart of Jesus. That's right. It's one of his most talked about subjects, Jesus giving. So to ignore it is to ignore his talking. Now, let me just say, I did some math this week. And in seven and a half years, this will be on the next screen, of being here at Faith Church, I have preached on this very topic of giving specifically 1.3333% of sermons given. That's out of 375 sermons, I preached five on this subject. So I dare you to say he preaches on giving every Sunday. Eight years, five times. That's it. 
And so one of the things that non-Christians throw up at the church all the time is, is that all, all they are is about money. One point three 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 percent was about this subject. There's always the crowd that says you should do it more, and there's always the crowd that says you should stop doing it. Dealing with tithing and giving to faith church. So again, it's a, it's a tough subject. I understand that, especially in the situation we find ourselves with. Trust me, I drove by four gas stations on the way here today. I feel it like you feel it. You may have grown up in a church that had this said to you, 10% off the top needs to go to the church. Not 10% of leftover, but 10% off the top. Then some came along and they challenged that. Are we still under that rule? Because that rule was in the Old Testament, they asked. Some with right hearts because they honestly wanted to know, are they behind it? But some asked that question with wrong hearts because here's what they're thinking. Can I get out of giving the 10%? Here's what we can't disagree with this morning. We're still under the teachings of Jesus. No one can disagree with the new, well, you can, but you would be wrong, New Testament teachings. Even if you want to throw the Old Testament out, and I would not recommend, I want you to hear this, that nor do I believe in that. You still must sit up and take notice to what Christ teaches about giving and about our hearts. Let me just say this, friends. If you think 10% is harsh, there were other religions at the very same time that God came out with the 10% rule in Leviticus and other places that asked for 50 to 60% in Nor'eastern religions. And so it always kind of cracks me up when somebody says, 10%? What is God crazy? Do you know what the Old Testament people believed? That's a deal. I'll take the 10%. Because I certainly don't want to give the 50 to 60 that this guy's asking for. And so when we come to this subject, there's, there's many of emotions. And honestly, we look at what Jesus taught his disciples. And I've learned this week that 10%, well, 10%, and I'm struggling with saying this this morning, but it's underlined and bolded, that may be cheap. For instance, look at Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 through 24 with me. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without rejecting the former. You blind guides, you strain a gnat, but swallow a camel. Bottom line here is, is what Jesus is saying. It's, it's kind of in, in code, but the Pharisees got it. Believe me, they got it. Minor matters were overly elevated. Major ones were neglected. 
Jesus likens them to a person who is all about a small bug and a drink or a soup, yet swallows a huge animal. While they were also focused on that gnat, that was a problem. Now, obviously, that's metaphoric. No one swallowed a camel. I hope you know that. It's a wordplay on the words for gnat and caramel. I am hungry this morning. Caramel or camel in the Aramaic. They are actually both the same words. And so Jesus is using a wordplay and he's catching the Pharisees off guard. What is the true priorities of the law? It isn't just check the box. It's where your heart is in the matter. And the Pharisees, oh, they so wanted it to be just check the box. Check the box. I went to church. Check the box. I gave to church. Check the box. Check the box. Check the box. And Jesus said, and all the while your hearts are deceptive. Says it another way in another scripture passage where he says they're like whitewashed tombstones. Inside the body is dead. The the decay is awful. It stinks. It smells. But on the outside, it looks beautiful. Here lies Brett Kendig. Beautiful stone. But on the inside, it's just a dead body. And so the Pharisees talk about the, or Jesus talks about this with the Pharisees. In other words, Jesus affirms that yes, landowning Israelites with produce are expected to tithe, but he also unequivocally states that the tithe is far inferior to the laws on justice, mercy, and faithfulness, which the Pharisees have neglected. You'll remember that the Pharisees are the ones that mostly bring somebody to Jesus and say, what are you going to do with this one? Why is that? Because, they, because while they practiced everything else, they didn't, they didn't really know what to do with laws of justice and faithfulness and mercy. They didn't show it very well. And so, yeah, sure, they were doing what God asked them to do in one sense of the word, but they weren't doing it in the other sense of the word, and God was calling them on the carpet in this scripture passage. So here's the important point here this morning to remember that Jesus and other New Testament authors put the measuring line of financial giving on a person's heart and not on the law. I want you to understand that. You know, because here's, here's why. Because if we put it on the law, it's, it's easy. Well, I got to kind of do it because I got to kind of do this law thing and I got to kind of follow the law and I got to kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of. And what the Lord says is, is, no, 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 no. We don't put it on the law. We put it on our hearts because the way your heart is doing it matters. It's, it's quite a different story with Jesus. There's a fascinating mini-sermon that Jesus gives on the very point in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. You can, here's the, here's the story. Jesus sat down opposite, opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. 
Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury down than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, she out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. Now, I want you to go over the scene with me, if you would. So, so Jesus and his disciples are walking in. They're, they're in the temple courts, and they sit down. And they're watching the crowd who is putting the money into the temple treasury. Now, this isn't watching for, you know, who's given the most. It isn't watching for, 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 for catching people trying to rip it off. It's just watching people. And it appears that this was done in the part of the temple called the, the Court of Women. And there were 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles for both the temple tax and the money given voluntarily for various uh, purposes. So not only are the people moving, but this money is making major, uh, a good majority um, of noise. It's clanking. And so if you could picture, you know, Ruth has a trombone up here, but a, but a trumpet-like like thing that, that, that people are pouring their, their treasures into, and, and there's a lot of clanking going on. Clank, 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 clank. And, and they're going down, and, and you know, I almost, I almost pictured a, this is, this is a poor representation, but I have to tell you, this is what came to my mind. One of those bubblegum machines where you drop it in, and the thing rolls around, and then it goes down, and then your bubblegum drops out of it. But while that bubblegum quarter is rolling down, now two quarters, <laughs> um, is rolling down, there's noise being made. And so as the, the rich people come in to Jesus' story, they're, they're dumping all of their, their, treasury, or their, their treasures into it. And so they're making all this noise. People are coming in and out, and the clanking goes on and on. And again, all the disciples are sitting around with Jesus, just kind of watching the crowd. The story continues. The Bible says the rich people were again throwing in large amounts of money, which probably made some noise and caught the attention of those around the area. But then, oh then. And, and it's almost as if the Bible gives an indication, and I'm not saying this happened, but, but there is some belief that this may have been what happened. Is, is like all the rich people step back. And there's just this, there's this, this, there's this noise. Nothing. For what seemed like an eternity. And then, and then, clank, clank. Now, up until this point, all they've heard is a whole lot of clanking, blah, 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 blah. coins dropping everywhere. And now all of a sudden, there's this, there's this widow that walks in and she does clank, clank, and it's completely quiet. What would happen? You know, I... I stopped my sermon process this past week and I thought to myself, this is probably a moment of where no one knew what would happen except for Jesus. Now remember, everybody's been dumping in their, their, their loads of offering. This lady walks in, it's quiet, and she clank clanks. And so would people laugh at her? <laughs> Seriously, that's all you're going to give? 
Would people ridicule her? Are, 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 you, are you sure that's all you can give to the temple? What would happen? Before anything could happen, Jesus does something, and, and it's very important to us. Because what it does is it puts us in the story. Here's what he does. He says to Thomas, and he says to Peter, and he says to John, and he says to Matthew, and he says to the others, come, come here. Come here. Now, when he does that, he's signaling. And you, you may not know this, but this is what this is. This is a signal to the disciples to say this isn't for the whole world to hear. This is for my disciples to understand. And so he calls him into almost a timeout of a basketball game and he, and he gets him into a huddle and he starts to talk about what they just saw. And why is that important to us today? Because he does it for those disciples, but he does it according to many, many, many who write about these things. He does it so that you and I know that this is for us too. It's for every disciple that steps foot on this, wor on this earth that follows him from that day forward. And he says, come, come here, come here. I got something to tell you. And here's what he says. I'm going to read it again. It'll be on the screen. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, there's some things we learn from what Jesus said, and, and, and these are things that are directly out of the Scripture passage. Here's the first one. It's your first blank. Jesus' focus is not on how much. His focus is on what kind of sacrifice was made by giving. I want you to catch that. Jesus' focus was not on how much. He was unimpressed with all the people that came in and kind of, kind of, dumped their riches. He's not moved by them. He doesn't call his disciples around and say, did you see so-and-so? Did you see Bob? He gave a ton. Did you see Scott? He gave a ton. No, it's this, it's this poor widow that he, that he brings them around and teaches them from. And so he's unimpressed with them, not because of the amounts that they're giving, but because of the ways they're giving it. What does the scripture say? The scripture says the rich were giving out of their wealth. So there was no sacrifice for them. What they put in that offering plate didn't bother them one bit. They did it every month. They did it every week. They did it whatever amount of time it called for. They did it. They didn't bother them. It didn't touch them. It didn't make them think, what, how am I trusting in God in my life? It didn't do anything. And so Jesus basically lets them go, do their thing, leave, and never says a word about them. But this poor widow, he's got a few things to say about Because in God's mind, the size of the sacrifice is more noteworthy than the size of the gift. In other words, the real value of an offering to God is not in the amount given, but in the cost to the giver. 
And so the question for me this morning, and by, by virtue of, of uh, being guilty because you are a disciple of Jesus, it's for you this morning is this. When I give, when I support, when I do, do I do so out of sacrifice or ease? And the very tough question that I have to ask myself is how much does it pinch my wallet? How much does it interfere with my unnecessary splurges? Now, of course, when we hear this story, we think of a powerful questions like, but where would her next meal come from? How could she buy flour for bread or all the household lamps, oil for all the household lamps? What about new clothes to replace her tattered garments? What about the broken plow in the field? How ridiculous of her to give it all. I mean, how do you expect to live? We can get very harsh with this story, but let's remember God's character. Here's what God's character tells us throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and the entire Bible. He's one who takes care of people who are generous. Period. Period. But please understand something. And this is where you can breathe. This is not a call for us to go to Wells Fargo after church and empty our bank account, friends. Breathe, friends. Breathe. However, it is a call for us to look in our hearts and ask ourselves, are our hands open or are they closed? To giving, tithing, supporting the work of the church. Are they open? Or are they closed? Because there are those that can drop 10% and think nothing of it. Yes, there are. And then there are those there are those who are stuck They don't know where the 5% might even come from. And even then it pinches the wallet and makes them lean into God a little more. That's the point, friends, in Jesus' story about the lady here. It's not always about radical giving all, but it's about understanding the heart of the matter. See, where we've gone wrong in the churches is that we've presented this radically give, radically give, radically give. I'm not sure that's what Jesus' heart is. That's why I believe Jesus doesn't make it about the amount as much as he does the heart. Give with a joyful heart, but give sacrificially. Sometimes that's going to hurt. Second, the widow here is offering all that she had to live on and entrusting herself to God's care. Now, right there's the rub. How do you do that? It's probably the number one fight back that I've heard when messages similar to this. She doesn't know what it will look like. She doesn't understand what she, she understands fully what she's doing, but she doesn't understand the back end of this. 
Again, this is not a call of unloading, but it does lead to some hard questions. And here's the hard questions it led to for me, and maybe it would be the same for you. Do I trust my retirement more than I trust my God? Do I trust my riches more than I trust my God? Do I trust the red credit card that sits in my wallet from Wells Fargo more than I trust my God? Which leads to other questions that we sometimes struggle with. How exactly did we come to attain those riches? Why exactly am I given a red credit card from Wells Fargo? Was it your work, your talent, or was it his? Be careful how you answer that. See, at any moment, he can take my voice. And then as a pastor, I'm pretty much shot. At any moment, he can take an arm, a leg. At any moment, you can be laying on a surgery table, getting a heart valve replaced. In the complete and utter hands of God himself. At any moment, he can decide, enough is enough, I'm taking you. And so while we hold on tight and while we defend to the gore that it's ours, it's ours, it's ours, is it? Did you come up with the talents that you are given to do your job? Some of them, yes. But did he give you the brain to figure it out? See, these are the questions that no one likes to ask, so I'm the bad guy asking them this morning. Because I have to be reminded. It's not by my works. It's not because I'm some kind of special person. It's not because I'm six foot three that I can do what I do. It's not because of my voice. It's not because of anything else. It's because God allows me to breathe another day. So I ask you, is it your treasure or his? Again, these are no questions that no one likes to ask. But honestly, it's the call of Jesus when it comes to giving in this story. Sure, I hear it all the time, and I even think it myself. Yes, your pastor thinks it himself. Time for a little self-repentance. I could do so much more if I didn't have to give here. Unpack that statement one time. When Gabriel or whatever angel gets the responsibility of blowing the trumpet. When God calls everyone home. When the end of the earth is up. I assure you my brick patio in the back of my house won't be standing. My car won't make it. My garage and my house will be gone. 
but the people I led closer to Jesus will be treasures in heaven. The times that I walked with him when I shouldn't have, when I should have and I didn't, or when I, the times that I walked with him and I could have easily walked elsewhere will go with me. You see, that's why Matthew chapter 6, Jesus spends this great amount of time talking about building up treasures for yourself in heaven and in earth. And what does he say in Matthew chapter 6? He says this, that when you build up stuff for in, your, in your treasures in, in, in earth, like, like brick patios, and, and, and I only use that as an example because that's something we're trying to get done, and, 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 and you have your own examples, Someday moths are going to eat right through it. Rust is going to kill it. What are you taking of eternal value? It's, it's, it's a hard question because no one likes to look at it that way. But it's a good question because it's what's given me an opportunity to look at it through the eyes of Christ. Third, the biggest point in this story is what it points us to. And so Jesus says, listen to the disciples. He's saying, listen, don't just take my word for it, but watch what I do. And here's what the story points to. It, it points to the, the ultimate sacrifice of giving. Here's what Mark does with this story. And it's absolutely a beautiful thing. And I've never seen it. And I only saw it this week. And I'll be honest with you with that. Here's what he does. He, he unlike any, <laughs> almost every other gospel writer, he stops this story, and he almost transitions automatically. You can see it in your own Bibles. He almost transitions automatically to the passion narrative. Now, why is that important? Because it's a signaling, according to many commentary writers, that it's saying to Jesus, is saying, listen to his disciples. He's bringing them in. He's saying, look, look, this woman, this woman, she gave out of her, out of her poverty. And watch this, disciples. It isn't just about talk with me. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter, um, yeah, I lost it. 8 verse 9 says these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that thought he was rich, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. And now the shoe is put on the other foot. So the gospel of Mark brings this out. And he says at the end of it, he goes, listen, listen, disciples, you get this. You get this. Get this. All those rich people came in here and dumped like they were, they were God's gift to everything. Even the Pharisees make it all about this and all about that, but they focus on a gnat 
while they swallow a camel. They make a big deal about these little things when in all, great, in all the grand scheme of church and, and, and following Christ, they, they're, they're failing on the big things. And so then he stops the story and, and, and Mark almost just stops and he goes right into the narrative of the, of the passion story. C.E.B. Cranfield, who writes a commentary, said this about this very verse. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the utterly undeserved, royally free, effective, unwearying, inexhaustible goodwill of God, active and in and through Jesus Christ. God's effective, overflowing mercy. And so don't sit here this morning and say, God just doesn't understand. The overflowing, unwearying, inexhaustible goodwill of God, active in and through Jesus Christ, who was as rich as he could be, but he chose to be poor because of everyone sitting in these pews and watching online and all around the world. And you have the audacity to sit here and say, he doesn't get it. The question is, how can we know Jesus, live our lives, in, and, and, and live for him and still have closed hands and closed hearts. That's the question that ultimately some commentaries believe that Jesus was driving at it, the disciples. He was looking at them saying, how are your hands, boys? How are you doing? And Jesus comes to this, this end of this story and he, he leaves us, you know, wondering about so much, you know, did she get taken care of? Did she lose everything? Did she go hungry? All of this stuff. But that's not the point of the story. And I believe it's what the enemy likes to do and, and begin to make us think about these things and we miss the point of the story. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. Here are a few application statements. Number one, sacrificial giving is the heartbeat of God's economy. Understanding that we have a God who is big enough and strong enough to take care of us and trusting in his work so much so that we can give with open hands. That's powerful. Now again, look, I came into this week saying, God, is there any way we can just kind of skip over this? Trust me, I did my wrestling match with him because, you know, this couldn't come at a more inconvenient time. 
It feels like just yesterday I could fill up my car for 50. Now it costs me 100. But when our heart is in it, that doesn't change a thing. Is God's grace somehow less cheap when the economy's bad? No one should feel pressured to break the bank. That's number two. The goal of this message was not to ask anyone to make radical moves that put you or your family in harm's way. The goal of this message was to get our minds and our focuses off of following rules with little to no heart change. Again, that was the issue in Matthew 23 when Jesus called the Pharisees on the carpet. Jesus is saying, you will give me 10% of your crops, yet you go out and show very little justice, faithfulness, and mercy. You are so consumed with these little nitpicky rules, but yet you're letting big things like not showing justice, mercy, or being faithful happen in your lives. See, you can follow the rules, check the boxes, and not be very pleasing to God. Or you can give to him with a heart of gratitude that you're building up treasures in heaven. That's the call. That's the question of which way will we go this morning? It's not always an easy call. Third, we always assume the more we have, the more we can give. It's a good assumption sometimes. But that's only partially true. See, the widow in Mark chapter 12 shows us the bigger miracle. The more we share, the more we have. Jesus said something similar when he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. The more we have, Jesus command, commends her, even though the monetary value wasn't the same for her as the rich that were go giving it comes back to the sacrifice and she was making that day and showing us and his disciples what it looks like to give with open hands. That's the call of Jesus in this passage of Scripture. And last, in the end, God has always wanted my heart, your heart. And when he has my heart, and your heart and my hands and you, or then our hearts, our hands are open. See now, here's the thing. And this is why it's a problem when our hands are closed. Because when somebody's handing me something, when someone's giving me something, like after the church service, someone might give me a book or something. If I have my hands closed, I can't receive it. I just drop it on the floor. And so what, what, what many Christians have struggled with is, is, is that they don't understand why they're not receiving from God. And yet their hands aren't open to give. Give. 
Because when your hands aren't open, you can't receive. And when your hands aren't open, you can't give. And all of that depends, and, and this is clear through Jesus' teachings, on your heart. Jesus says from time to time, he says, you want to know somebody where somebody stands? You want to know how they believe? You want to know what they think? Look at their heart. Look right at their heart. I love the way St. Ignatius of Loyola said it. And here's what he said. Eternal word, only begotten son of God, teach me true generosity. Teach me to serve you as you deserve. Give without counting the cost. To fight heedless, need, heedless of wounds. To labor without seeking rest. To sacrifice myself without thought of my reward. Save the knowledge that I have done your will. Amen. Now I know there are thoughts. And I close with this. Why now? Why here? I can honestly say I it's the Lord. The Lord has asked me to be faithful to his word. To talk about tough subjects that beliefs because we need to know what we understand. But it's also the mission field. Tonight we're going to have a mission guy come and he's going to share about missions all over this place. I mean no, I mean no disrespect by this. We got a mission right over there and right over there and right over there and right over there and right beside your house and at your work and at your places where people are dying without Jesus. I'm a crazy person. <laughs> I've come to realize it. I believe that God is not done working in Temple PA. If I truthfully believed that God was done working in Temple PA, I would no longer be in Temple PA. Period. I don't want to be where God's not working. That wasn't the call of my life. I didn't come out of Bible college and out of seminary and say, you know what, I want to go to a church where God's not working. I wonder, for me and for you, are our hands really open? Now here's the deal. Many of you will want to go where the enemy will want to take you. Are you giving as much as you can, Pastor Brett? Great question. I don't know what you give, and you don't know what I give. Fair game. But that's not what I'm asking. Is your heart open? Are your hands open?
That's what I'm asking. Because Jesus was far less impressed with the two coins that dropped into the trumpet than he was with the heart of the widow. And he was far less impressed with the bucket loads that others were dumping in that day then he was probably moved to tears with their hearts. Some commentators say that the silence of Jesus there is, is on, on the rich people giving. And, and, and please don't hear me wrong. Rich people, it's not, we, we sometimes in Christian church, we make it that rich people, you know, they just couldn't, they couldn't serve Christ. No, I've seen rich people do it very, very well. I've seen them do it very, very well. But some commentators believe that when those rich people came in and they dumped, Jesus didn't point them out because he didn't want his disciples to, he wanted his disciples to understand they, they're dumping out of the wealth. When they go home, they don't have to ask themselves, what do I have to sacrifice because of what I just gave in the temple? Is it one last Starbucks coffee? Or one less one? What do I have to sacrifice? And so sacrificial, give, sacrificial giving is what the heart of the, the matter is for Jesus. And so let's not go where the enemy wants us to go. Pointing our fingers all over the place. As for me and my household... I'll tell you where our fingers are going, right back at ourselves. And we're going to start asking ourselves, we got open hands? We got open hands? And I want you to ask yourself the same thing. Not the guy next to you. Not the person across from you. Not the person in the pulpit. You do it. In your own heart. Ask the Lord. Are my hands open? Does it pinch? And be far less impressed by checking the box. And far more impressed by your heart being changed. Towards what the Lord has for you and your family. That's the call of Jesus. So it's not an easy sermon. In many ways, I would have much rather got a root canal this morning. <laughs> but it's a sermon that needs to be preached every once in a while because I know when rough times come, when the economy turns and when things start going, don't go as far as they once were, where's the first person, where's the first person to cut God? It is. I'm not dumb to it. Well, it's this or this. Cut this, give to this. I'm just asking you to consider the words of Jesus this morning. In Mark chapter 12. Let's pray together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. It is powerful. It does cut like a two-edged... 
Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 